This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. I hope you're finding us here on Saturdays, each and every Saturday at this time, where we talk about the disease of addiction and, and the road to recovery. Because in addition to all the bad news, and there's loads and loads of bad news about um, substance abuse and addiction, there there's a good story out there. There's a big good story out there that has to do with millions of people who managed to find sobriety. When we started this program five years ago, it was dedicated to a lot of things. Uh, our sponsors, uh, Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, said, look, make it informational, make it informative, tell them what we do, but that's not the main purpose of this. They're a world-class operation. But this is about shining a light on this problem. Five years ago, um, the the uh, information about this was, was a vastly different. The public still was not firmly looking at the problem. Now we cannot not avoid the epidemic of substance abuse that's gripped this country. So any effort that shines light on this problem and this disease, anything that demystifies it, anything that clears up falsehoods, we support on Recovery Radio. That's why we're so very excited at a television production that we are grateful to be a part of. It's called Addiction Unplugged. They they will have an announcement uh, very shortly as to where you can see that. It's going to be streaming everywhere. It's going to be on a major uh, television uh, network. It, it's a very big effort, and uh, their heart's in the right place. They are they are as, as dedicated as this program is to um, telling people the truth about what's going on with regard to addiction. Uh, we're going to be talking to a lot of people who are involved in that. They're, they're here filming now. Um, it, it's, uh, it's showbiz time here on Recovery Radio. So let, let's find out about Addiction Unplugged and how Retreat fits into all that. Uh, their host is with us in the studio. Uh, ben Stone is with us from Addiction Unplugged. We welcome Ben to the program. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Steve, for having me. <clears throat> it's an honor and privilege to be able to share some information with you guys. Um, we're super excited about launching the show. Once again, it's called Addiction Unplugged, and Steve shared with you some of the basic knowledge about it. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be announcing uh, what network we're going to be live on television on. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the major aspect of the show is everything that Steve just said. It's about giving people a deeper look into what addiction is all about. Um, back home in South Florida, I teach right now in about 10 to 11 different treatment centers on a weekly basis. And I've done that for about two years. So probably for about the past two years, I've taught 20 hours a week on addiction, which is, I think, over a 1,000 hours. And I've gotten to know so many different people struggling with this issue. And it's so important for us as representatives of this TV show to be able to show you guys that addiction is not a simple thing. It's not just something you wake up one morning and, first of all, that you have. And number two, once you're in active addiction, it's not something that you can easily stop. Uh, there is an interesting study that was done recently, and it's showing some brain scans. It's a study of neuroplasticity about how addiction is affecting the brain. I don't want to give you all the details because we'll run out of time, but the, the basic insight is that once an individual is in active addiction, it's very difficult for them to change because their brain is actually affected from impulse control and self-regulation. And what's so beautiful is that Addiction Unplugged is going to be traveling to 10 different cities, 10 different states, although it is possible it can change to about 13, by the way. And we're going to be going into those states, into different treatment centers, and showing what those treatment centers are doing to really help change and educate people about addiction, how to overcome from it, and really how to come back to society as better and stronger people. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's uh, terrific, and one would think um, 
gee, we still need to explain this to people. And in fact, we do. We, we, we still need uh, to uh, have people understand what you just said about the, the, act, the actual uh, physical nature of, the, of this disease. Uh, so, Ben, how did you, how did you come to, to this calling? It's a calling for you. as a, I, You're described as a life coach and obviously a motivational speaker. How did you get involved in this? So I've been, you know, since a very young age, I've always been fascinated about knowledge of various subjects, psychology, philosophy, theology. I'm literally obsessed with understanding human behavior, what motivates us to do the things that we do, whether it's of a positive nature, whether it's of a negative nature. And um, I did a lot of uh, spiritual work, missionary work for a phase of my life. And about two and a half years ago, I started working in treatment centers. One of the producers is Stuart Goffman, and the other one is Alan West. And I was actually teaching at a treatment center where Stuart was the owner at the time before he sold it. And he found out about some of the groups I was doing, and I was recruited for this project. And um, ever since then, it's kind of just been a, a fascinating experience. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because you echo my experience with this topic. Uh, like I said, five years ago, I, I heard people in the field talking about what they did. Some of them were in recovery themselves. And I, was first of all, thought it would be a terrific radio program. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't one. But what hooked me was this human dimension to it. This It's almost mysterious why some people fall prey to this disease, others don't, why some can recover quicker than others. And all those disciplines you mentioned are, are part of trying to figure it out, right? I would definitely say so. I think it's very difficult. You know, first and foremost, one thing that I, I really believe in when it comes to being a life coach and helping people with addiction is I really believe in individuality. So there are many people struggling with addiction for a variety of reasons. Some of it could be genetic. Some of it could be environmental. Some of it could be the circumstances that they've come across in their life. Some of it could just be because, I don't know, they're going through stress and worry due to finances or relationship issues. And one of the things that I've learned over, you know, my experience over the past 10 years of working with people in most motivating them and helping them achieve more in life is in order to really help people, you need to find specifically what the individual in front of you needs. That, that's such a, a, uh, a great point because I, we, we have a lot of people on the program. And in fact, we're going to hear from a couple of people who have, uh, are in successful recovery and, and have been uh, uh, patients at retreat. We find great power, as you know, in hearing success stories. It's yes. important to hear a success story. But but it's more than that. One of the things that struck me after hundreds hundreds of interviews with people, I like to say that all stories of addiction and recovery are the same, except they're different. In what regard? What do you mean? The framework, the, the foundation is the same. We know what we're going to be talking about. We know, yeah. almost know the progressions that are going to occur. But, but inside of that is what you just said about the, the individual because there's a person in, in this pathology. Absolutely. All the behavior looks kind of similar – but it can obscure the person. Yeah, on the you know the on the periphery level, on the outside. I mean, even let's speak about let's move away from addiction for a second and speak about something that's related. Let's say something like anger, right? So you could look at somebody and you can see them in rage, you can see them angry, but you don't necessarily see what they're angry about. And anger, as we know, it's a secondary emotion. It's not a primary one. It means that an individual feels hurt. So in a similar way, when a person is addicted, that's just telling you a piece of the story. It's not telling you why they're addicted. It's not telling you their struggles. And something I deeply believe in and it's it's one of the major aspects of the show that we want to humanize addiction we want to make sure that people don't judge people who are struggling with addiction but rather have compassion towards them and realize those people have a story they don't just do what they do because they have no reason um, there was another experiment I like to study lots of different experiments and different studies on addiction and there was a study um, 
that was basically what, what an individual did. It was a professor from a top college, and he took addicts who were in active addiction off the streets of New York. He brought them to a lab, gave them an opportunity to take $5 hit of their drug of choice or to take a $5 bill. About 50% of them would take the $50 bill. About 50% of them would take the drug of choice, the hit, on the spot. What he did next, he increased it to $20. Said, do you guys want to take $20 bill or do you want to take this $5 hit of your drug of choice? And the increase in percentage of people that took the $20 bill skyrocketed. And what he was trying to explain through that is that when an individual, even in active addiction, sees an alternative reality that shows hope, that's more positive, they're always going to take that alternative reality. Unfortunately, so many people struggling with addiction, the reason why they don't break free is that a lot of them don't believe that a better reality is possible. Well, do you, don't you, do you also think that one of the reasons it's difficult for people under those circumstances is that society has forever, up until right now, to find them one way. You are an addict. Well, that's probably the biggest thing. Aside from just defining them as an addict, you're going to kind of take me into a political conversation. I don't know if we should get into that or not, but it's kind of an interesting thing. What do we tend to do to people struggling with addiction? A lot of times we judge them like you're saying. A lot of times we criminalize them. We put them in jail for possession or whatever it might be. And it's interesting that by putting them in jail and doing different things of that nature, we don't show them promise for a better future. We actually show them that their future is going to continue to become worse. Um, you know, the major topic of this show, Steve, is actually pregnant and addicted. And it's fascinating in doing some research on it. I noticed that many of the states in the United States, if there's a woman who's pregnant and in active addiction, a lot of the times if she turns herself in or tries to seek help, she actually can become arrested and lose her child. So at the end of the day, what do you think? Is she going to actually do that and turn her child in? Or is she going to try to struggle by herself and probably not be successful and cause ramifications for herself and her child? Well, pregnancy and addiction, uh, you couldn't find a better example of how high the stakes are here. Ben Stone, is our guest. Ben is going to host, and in fact is working as the host of a television program called Addiction Unplugged. Uh, look for the announcement of where you'll find it on, on your uh, cable uh, system. It's going to be that announcement made very shortly. Uh, those guys are all in town here at Retreat filming what goes on here with a particular emphasis on treating uh, pregnant women with disease. Ben Stone is going to be with us this hour. We're going to take a couple of phone calls, uh, Ben, from some alumni. I just quickly share just the website and the Facebook. Absolutely. So real quick, guys, thank you so much once again for giving us this platform to share. Uh, You can check us out on Facebook at Addiction Unplugged as well as AddictionPlug.com. And we look forward to hopefully seeing you in your city and state. Yeah, so when, as I said, when we uh, come back after the first break here, we will, uh, we will be talking uh, to a couple of people who, who have, as I said, uh, been successful thus far in their, in their recovery. And uh, one of the things that we, the alumni group, for instance, points out is something we've been hammering away at, and I know you're under, aware of it, and that is treating this is not one thing. And in fact, it's many things. It's, all, it's almost a process. Absolutely. Do people understand that when you talk to them? You know, I th- honestly, I look at that as something like common sense. You know, if someone were to tell me, Ben, today run a marathon, I would look at them like they're crazy because I, there's no way I could run a marathon. I can maybe run a few miles most. If I want to run a marathon, I need to build up stamina and eventually I can do that. When it comes to addiction and even anything in life, it's always the same thing. If we want to achieve long-lasting results in overcoming addiction, in becoming successful in any, any field, we need to be willing to put in longevity work. Alan J. West, please. There it is. He just gave his name. So we'll let, he introduced himself. It's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I'll explain that in a second. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with, uh, with you. Uh, it's, it's a really exciting time up here. We are, in, we are in the process of getting involved 
and uh, we're delighted in a television program called Addiction Unplugged. In the first segment, we spoke to their host, Ben Stone. He has now been uh, relieved for the moment by his uh, colleagues in this effort, Alan West, who just introduced himself. I like that a lot. Alan J. West. Alan J. West. I'm sorry. See that? He got it right the first time. Uh, Alan is uh, exec producer, and he's, he's sort of overseeing the entire operation. Hello, uh, hello, Alan. How you doing, Steve? Um, you were worried to be here. You were worried I was going to call you Batman Alan again. West. No, no, not, that's Adam West. Adam West I know. is Batman. Well, I wouldn't do that. There's a, there's a congressman in, uh, in South Florida named Alan West, and he's got that's the right. first 15 pages on Facebook, on uh, yeah, Google. Yeah. So I just say Alan yeah. J. West. Every Steve Martirano in the universe has... Bumps me off that first page. And your your colleague uh, is with us. Stuart Kaufman. I'm the uh, creator. And uh, it's great to be here. Well, tell us, take us, uh, take us through uh, where this idea came from. We, we, we said to Ben when we were talking to Ben earlier that any effort to shine a light on the disease of addiction and the myths and misconceptions surrounding it, we support here on the radio show. How did it occur to you that this is a good idea? So I I, uh, started a uh, treatment center probably five years ago, and I was uh, from the outside looking in. And once I saw the the true, uh, not the myths, it was was, uh, eye-opening for me. And I think that everybody on the outside should see what I saw. And, uh, and I saw a lot of the s- stigma and the, the shame. And this is why, you know, I talked to Alan and I wanted to uh, publicize it. It's interesting. This disease is fascinating on a number of levels. Mm-hmm. I know I don't want to sound detached and clinical about this, but it is a fascinating kind of disease. You, yes, it, yes, it is that a disease. But but there's a lot of differences about this. There's no stigma attached to being a diabetic. There's certainly no stigma attached to, to having a, a cancer. But there persists in this stigma that somehow you're a lesser person. Because, well, when I, because when you're I, addicted. Exactly. When I when I first sat down with Stu about 18 months ago, uh, as a producer, you know myself and my production partner Brandon Dumlau, we the thing that struck me, my, the chords to me the most was when Stu said he wanted to make a show about humanizing this epidemic. And as a producer, that's, that's what our weave is in every storyline that, we, uh, that we're producing on each episode. And also, you know, cancer, uh, heart attack, that is an individual uh, disease. You know, addiction is a family disease, and it affects more than, than the uh, addict. One of the other things I, I'm sure that your program, Addiction Unplugged, will ultimately get around to explaining to people is that, uh, and it's interesting, this disease is uh, arrives un- unannounced. I've never talked to anybody who woke up expecting to be an addict or abusing drugs. Families are blindsided all the time. Uh, and it's an equal opportunity uh, disease. It can strike anybody, as we know now. Um, and it isolates you, even though we know how widespread this thing is. It does isolate. Is is the goal of Addiction Unplugged to let people know that as bad as this is, you're not in this alone? No, absolutely. And it's also, it's everywhere. It's, you know, the, the firefighter, the, the teacher, the, the doctor, the the college students. It is everything, everybody, everyone, and everyone should uh, rally around and support the at least the uh, the recovery uh, community. 
And, you know, we, we've seen that w when we uh, filmed the pilot in uh, Fort Lauderdale. You know, we, we have them, uh, the subjects, uh, interview for uh, jobs. And people were uh, understanding. And that, that's great. You know, we're, we're, it's a, a long uh, process. Yeah, we got we got to stop treating people like this. You know, I really feel like you know if if you're a convicted if you're a convicted felon, and you come out of jail, I feel like an addict is treated the same way when they try to reacclimate themselves into society, right? And we we've got to completely stop that because this is a disease. So, as a creative guy, as a mm -hmm. guy whose job it is to uh, frame a, a, a narrative mm -hmm. around this. We know what the old narrative was. Right. This is something that had that only happened to bad people, bad people in right. in, in bad parts of town. Right. And the only way to deal with bad people in bad parts of town is lock them up. Mm -hmm. How do you, as a, as a uh, creative person, as somebody who's got to get pictures and stories that change that perception? Has it been difficult, or, or is no? It been I mean, look, we, you know, we 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 frame the uh, we coined the phrase that you know. Addiction unplugged is is what happened when intervention ends, right? There is a storyline. These people have fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and grandmothers, and this is about uh, everybody supporting everyone outside of the treatment center. You know, from the business owner to the church to the family member. That's what this whole show is about. Yeah, this we're all in it together is important. 100%. I mean, that's an important thing. I've said this, and I know you guys will probably agree now after looking at it. If this were an airborne situation, I mean, if you if it were like the flu right. and it was killing the number of people it's killing now, we would be mobilized on a national basis. I mean, the, the entire society and government would be throwing its weight behind this. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the people that we have interviewed – really like to share their uh, story. So it, it, it's not really a uh, difficult uh, subject to uh, discuss. Yeah, we, we, we recognize in, in the origins of like AA, yeah. the, the the anonymity piece of that, which I don't know how you guys feel, but for the longest time that made perfect sense. And I guess in certain contexts it still does. But it's great to see so many people going, I'm, I'm not, an, I don't want to be anonymous. I want to tell people my story. Yeah, but, you know, from a storytelling standpoint, it's uh, the first season, because we plan on doing this for 10, 15, 20 years. The first season is really an education and an awareness campaign, right? We will hint at some solutions based on some really smart people that we're aligning ourselves with. But this thing is hemorrhaging all over the country. And there's no solution. There's so much fraud. There's so much abuse. That's why we're here at Retreat, because Retreat is a top-tier treatment center. So many of these treatment centers around the country are just, you know, uh, I don't know what the word is, but they're, they're preying, preying on people who have a disease. And that's not the way we need to be living in this society. Right. Well, I agree with you about starting at the beginning. It's a big problem, and you yeah. got to start at the beginning and not assume people know any uh, know anything at all about, about the problem of addiction. Hi, welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martirano with you. Saturdays, we talk about the disease of addiction. A reminder 
that it is sponsored by the retreat premier addiction treatment centers uh, who are taking part and they're very excited about it in uh, the production and filming of a television program called addiction unplugged about which more later we've been talking to their creators and their producers and we welcome back now to the microphone ben stone who is the host of the program uh, ben's ben's uh, deeply immersed in this in this field has counseled people and, and spoken to groups and listened to stories for a very long time on the substance abuse issue. Uh, ben, when we were talking earlier in the program, we, we mentioned that you've heard a lot of these stories. So have I. I, I my rule of thumb is that you know, all these stories are the same except they're different. Absolutely. And we welcome people who are willing to come on this program and talk about it because we find power in uh, first-person accounts. To that end, we welcome uh, Carly to the program. Uh, Carly, hi. Welcome to Recovery Radio. Hi. Say hi to Ben. How you doing, Carly? You excited? You ready? Oh, I'm ready. (laughs) So, first of all, you're a member of the alumni group, correct? Yes. Yeah. um, We'll talk about that in a bit. But just give me the Carly story. Um, Was your introduction to substances uh the same as a lot of people's that i i talk to youthful experimentation and why don't you tell me what what that process was for you um so i, I guess like around you know uh, i grew up in a household of alcoholic parents you know i have a, a mom that's in recovery a father that actually died from this disease when i was 16 um you know it started as fun um i remember the first time like i drank it was you know one of those feelings that I finally felt like I fit in. I felt cool enough. Uh, I felt like I could talk. I felt pretty enough. I was the life of the party. Um, you know, I got alcohol poisoning at 14 and I woke up in the hospital and I thought, you know, you know, my parents were there and I was like, this, this is awesome. Like, I can't wait to do that again. And, you know, most people's mindset wouldn't be so let's do that again. But my mindset after, you know, waking up with the monitors hooked up to me was like, let's do it again. Um, the first time I was introduced to opiates was probably around 15 and it, you know, it wasn't really my thing. Um, you know, then I started experimenting with uh, Xanax and party drugs and I became like a big party girl. Um, you know, at 16, I lost my, my father to a heroin overdose. And that was when, you know, I think there was a difference between a, a normal person, how they would cope and an addict, how they would cope when my dad died. You know, the first thing I turned to was drugs and alcohol to, to cope when most people would, you know, go to therapy and, you know, talk with family and go through the grieving process. And instead I just completely shut down, um, and started using. And, uh, you know, then I started getting involved with people that were selling drugs and, you know, things just kept going downhill more and more. Um, and, and then it became to a point when there was like no choice anymore. Like I'd rather, you know, I wanted to be high more than I wanted to be sober. And then, um, you know, I crashed a few cars during that time. And, you know, my mom tried everything because, you know, she knew the road that I was going down. Um, but there was just, you know, no talking to me. There was no sense. I was no longer Carly. I was like an addict that was completely lost in the disease. Um, and then in March of 2013, I entered the retreat for the first time. Um, and then... <laughs> It's unfortunate. I, I went to the retreat for the first time in March of 2013, and then I, you know, followed the suggestions. I went to a halfway house. Um, I got com- super involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, uh, you know, did everything that they told me to do, get a sponsor, get a home group, 
you know, get involved. I started sponsoring people. Um, you know, I became extremely uh, active in the alumni program at the retreat. I used to go and tell my story up on the hill. You know, I, I worked with other people. I actually worked in treatment. Um, you know, I, I was doing the deal. I was, you know, known as somebody that was extremely, you know, known in AA. I was very, you know, passionate about the program. And, you know, the, the last year of my uh, four years of sobriety, I started to slip away. I thought I didn't need to go to meetings as much. I thought I, you know, was better than other people. And, you know, after four years, uh, like they say, there's that saying that the disease uh, is doing push-ups waiting for you. Um, it, it's true. Uh, so I celebrated four years, and um, I made it to four years in a week, and I decided that I would drink. And, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be a normal person. I thought I was going to be able to, you know, drink successfully and, you know, be normal because I got sober the first time at 20. And, um, you know, my, my drug of choice the first time, I would say, would would have been uh, like Xanax and party drugs. And after relapsing after four years, my, my drug of choice became heroin and crack cocaine. Um, and everything went downhill. It was a, you know, I then checked into the retreat twice in a matter of a month. Um, you know, I, I was completely hopeless after losing, you know, four years of continuous sobriety. I, you know, end up back in the retreat, you know, after being like a, a star patient, an example to people, um, you know, and I fell completely to my knees and I, I gave the disease what it wanted. You know, I, I let it, I let it win. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm putting needles in my arm and that was never a thing. I'm, you know, hanging out under bridges. I'm, I'm hanging out with people that I didn't think, you know, was possible, and it's it's scary because the disease, you know, it, it does that for you. Well, nobody can say you don't know this disease uh, from yeah. uh, from a, from an ab- absolute ground ground level. Ben, what strikes you about her story? You know, I, I have like ten bullet points that I that I'm ready to <laughs> unload, but I want to take it easy on you, Carly. Um, <clears throat> first thing that I would like to say is that um, you know you said something interesting that I notice in a lot of rooms, and w- when I see a lot of people struggling with addiction, you know, it's not just addiction anymore. There's actually a whole culture around addiction, and. I don't want to go against something you said, but you know when you're talking about losing your father at 16. Firstly, I just want to say I'm deeply sorry that that happened to you to, to such a yeah, an extreme circumstance of heroin overdose. That's that's got to be such a difficult, near impossible thing for a 16 year old to grasp, to understand, and be able to deal with. And you know you said about yourself that um, you know the way that you dealt with it wasn't normal. A normal person maybe would have sought therapy or would have done other things. And to be very honest with you, I don't think it's unnormal what you did. I think that for any human being, whether they're 16 or even whether they're 30 or 40, when they hear about their father going, you know, passing away from an overdose of heroin, I think that's a piece of news that's difficult for anybody to deal with and cope with. And, you know, there's, there's so much information and knowledge out there that we could seek, but even sometimes having all the knowledge doesn't necessarily help in the, the time. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to start yeah. off by saying I think you're brave, you're amazing, and you're phenomenal, and I don't think that's something to look at yourself as strange or weird about. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what strikes me, and uh, Ben, I want you to uh, comment on this. Uh, the the, the, the p- notion of relapse just uh, terrifies people. It also uh, makes people cynical. People on the outside go, oh, they all relapse. Uh, I, I'm struck by the fact that people like Carly who do relapse get up again. It's like falling down in a race. If you want to finish the race, you got to get back up. So they always do that. But there's something about the disease, and Ben, I want you to comment on it, Carly, as well, that almost gives you – a sense of confidence mm-hmm. while you're while you're in that first recovery gives you the sense oh you're okay now and Carly you said your first instinct after four years was to celebrate right 
Yes. <laughs> it's 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 just the insidious nature of the disease. Well, I, I think you know you know, and and once again, I'm a life coach. I do a lot of a significant work with addiction, but I try to focus on life as a whole. And what I would tell you is that if you you look around every department of life, when you look at people in their careers, when you look at people in their relationships, and of course when you look at people overcoming their addiction, complacency is something that strikes us all, right? So you see a beautiful. Oh, guy. absolutely. <laughs> you see a beautiful. Uh, Carly, are you dating somebody? If I can ask that. I- uh, yes, I am. So, so I hope I'm not speaking about your relationship here, and I hope I'm not speaking about mine, but it's very common, you know, let's say a guy trying to sweep you off your feet for the first three months, the first six months, sending you some <coughs> flowers, and then six months later, all of a sudden the flowers stop, the excitement and the passion fades, and, you know, it's it's something that in all departments of life, we need to recognize that we can't just do the work for six months in addiction. We can't just do the, wor- the work for six months in a relationship. If we want our relationship to thrive, we need to continue to feed it. If we want our process yeah. in recovery to continue, we need to continue to feed that as well yeah absolutely what do you think about that that flower example carly you can relate maybe don't say that over the air your boyfriend might be listening (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i uh i absolutely can relate because complacency i think is what became a thing during my four years of continuous sobriety that you know i worked in treatment i thought oh i don't need to sponsor people i don't need to continue going through the book i don't need to go to meetings you know I don't need to do what I did in the beginning to maintain my sobriety. I, you know, I work in treatment. I don't have to, you know, keep going to meetings. I don't need to help people. And, you know, I, I, I actually had a reservation that, you know, I knew that one day I was going to drink again. Um, I thought I got sober too young. And it's, it is, it's just like you said in a relationship, like you have to, you know, keep doing the things that worked in the beginning, like all the lovely things that kept getting you sober, happy, whatever the case may be you to you know to be able to continue you can't stop doing that and expect that things are still going to go the same way it's just a remarkable uh, insight into what this disease can do to your uh, to your brain chemistry and your thought processes the great quote from one of my favorite movies the usual suspect uh, is when verbal kint says the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing you he didn't exist and this disease will tell you it went away well he's fine I think, you know, for me, Carly, and I'm always a little cautious when I say this to people who are struggling with uh, addiction and recovery, and some people get a little bit upset about what I say, but I think one of the difficulties when it comes to being sober four years or 10 years and going back to drinking is I've met many people in recovery, by the way, who have gone back to doing things lightly, and by the way, they've been okay. But I've met several people, by the time they take their first drink, all of a sudden they're doing crack on the street the next second. So I think where a lot of the confusion comes is that, and I was speaking to Steve about this earlier, is that we shouldn't look at just what works for other people. We really need to be honest with ourselves and see what works for us, right? And it's something so important. Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off there. Like self-knowledge, knowing what works for you and, and, you know, where your vulnerabilities are. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, that actually brings me to another point that I did want to discuss. Um, after my, uh, I went to the retreat, I had relapsed, went on my run. I went to the retreat in Pennsylvania, um, May 15th of 2017, left against medical advice. Um, I, unfortunately, I mean, it's not unfortunate now I got pregnant. Um, and then I ended up back in the retreat in Florida, um, in June. And I, I knew deep down that I was pregnant. Um, I wasn't coming up positive on a test yet. Um, you know, I, I was, I didn't want to face the fact that like, I knew I was pregnant. My life was a mess. Like everything was like really, really bad. Um, and you know, I got out of the retreat the second time and, um, uh, I unfortunately overdosed and ended up in the hospital and found out that I was two months pregnant. Wow. When, when uh, was this Carly? 
<laughs> this was um, July 17th of 2017. Okay. I had gotten out of the retreat in Palm Beach, and I went to a halfway house. You know, I was going to try to do the right thing. I knew I wasn't going to do well, but I figured, let me at least try. And, um, you know, I, I ended up in the hospital, and they said... You know, they were supposed to take me for a CAT scan, obviously, because the ambulance had to come. I, I went down into McDonald's, and uh, they, you know, said, did you know that you're you're pregnant? And I, I kind of laughed, and I said, I, I had a feeling. Um, you know, and obviously today, uh, it, it's a, a blessing. It's amazing. I love being a mother. Um, but I, I made a decision at that point that I felt I wasn't strong enough to stay away from things. So I chose to go on a, a maintenance program. And that's when I decided to make the choice to go on to Subutex maintenance during my pregnancy. I'm still on Subutex maintenance. Um, you know, I actually am very fortunate that I found um, an OB doctor that specializes in addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, you know, was somebody that I could talk to about things similar to like you guys. Uh, you know, she understood my story. Her whole job is dedicated to dealing with, uh, you know, women that are addicts that are pregnant. Um, and, you know, my daughter is super healthy. She was born February 27th. Um, she's healthy. There was no withdrawal. She's she's perfect. You know, that's great. And it's one of the uh, uh, special focuses of Addiction Unplugged is uh, treating pregnant women with addiction. Carly, thanks so much for sharing uh, your story with us and continued success. Carly, thank you so much. Really a pleasure to hear your story and to meet you. Look forward to hearing more. Absolutely. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Boy, we, we could do three shows with the folks from Addiction Unplugged. Again, a reminder, keep an eye out for the announcement on what when you'll be able to see that on your cable uh, your cable network. Their host has been with us, Ben Stone. He's with us now. Ben, I know you have a particular interest in, in uh, highlighting treating substance abuse in pregnancy. And to that end, we have yet, yet another member of the retreat family, uh, Christine, who is not only a member of the alumni but understands uh, pregnancy and substance abuse. Hi, Christine. Hi, how are you? We're good. Tell us uh, about your your situation uh, abusing substances while trying to carry a baby. Well, it first started out when I uh, broke my shoulder in 2014. I got off of them myself through Suboxone at home. Um, we planned a second child. I had the baby, and then once I had her, I had a C-section, and I started, again, to dibble-dabble with uh, Percocet, Oxycodone, whatever you want to call it, but one here and there became two, an everyday thing, which no one wants, but your body becomes physically dependent upon it, and then... During that time, I found out I was pregnant with my third child, which we were not planning. Christine, my can husband I, was supposed to get a vasectomy uh, and Christine, ended can up I ask getting you a pregnant. quick question on that? I'm sorry? Can, can I, I ask you a quick question on that? So I'm just curious. Sure. So, you know, when you found out, let's say that moment that, so you were in active addiction or you were addicted to a substance at the time and you found out that you were pregnant, what was the first yeah. thoughts and feelings and emotions that you experienced at that time? Oh, my God. I was scared um because i had just had a baby my my baby was nine months old i was scared because i knew my body was physically dependent upon the the percocet oxycodone um 
I had a range of emotions. Uh, I thought about uh, abortion, but I knew I physically couldn't deal do that and feel that guilt of doing that to a child because of the mistake I made. And I did try to get off some on my own while pregnant, but I was afraid I was going to harm the baby or it was just scary. Like I felt like I, I was alone. I, I couldn't tell anybody because no one knew that I was taking them. So what was, what was like the motivating factor? So you felt alone. You were scared, obviously. You even had the, yeah. the debate of abortion, but then you, you went against it because you, you just couldn't see through it. You I, I couldn't deal with it, yeah. Understand, I, I totally I, get you I on that. I couldn't do that, yeah. What was the motivating so, factor in seeking yeah. help? I'm sorry? What was the motivating factor in seeking help? Because, you know, you said you were trying to do uh, it on your own at first. I so. wanted to safely make sure my baby was safe and do it the right way. I, I got to the point where I was so afraid that she was going to be born addicted or if I tried to do it on my own, that something bad would happen or I'd miscarry. So I felt like going to retreat was my safest option. Ben, how uh, frequent is it uh, for a woman who discovers this while she's in active abuse to have it so overwhelming that they're either paralyzed and don't know what to do or descend even deeper into abuse? Well, I, I can't give you any percentages. I think, by the way, like even addiction it's in itself, you were saying earlier in the show, it's something that tends to lead to solitude. A lot of times when people are using drugs, it tends to be something they're ashamed of, and oftentimes they could hide the fact that they're doing it. Right. I think being right. a pregnant to, mother to. amplifies that. The the shame factor. Because not only am I a bad right. human being, now I'm shame, a bad mother. It's the guilt. Right. Exactly. Exactly what I felt. I, I, I felt I, guilt. I felt. I still, to this day, I carry the guilt of that. I, I mean, I go to meetings and I talk about it and I go to counseling. But the guilt that I did that. You know, uh, Christine, you know, if I could just share with you something with positive, you know, first of all, I always try to share with people that shame is something that shouldn't be used in the past. Shame should be something that you, use, you should use to project you forward, right? So anytime our shame is in the past and we continue to go back to it, it's always going to hold us back in our life. But when, let's say, we're ashamed of a certain behavior and we try to remind ourselves not to do it in the future, that's going to uplift you and that's going to take you to the next level. But something, you know, you're focusing right now on your shame, something that I think is beyond brave that you did, you know, so you were at this phase where you were pregnant with your child, you were in active addiction, you were so afraid, but you were so concerned with how your baby was going to turn out. You were so concerned that you wanted your baby to survive and be healthy that even though you were right. afraid of admitting what you were doing, that care you had right. for your child overcame and you were able to seek the help that you were you needed. So I, I think that's phenomenal. I want to just say that to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was, it was the best decision I ever made. I um, have been sober for over a year. No. Congratulations. That are you, was the are you, first time I Are you tearing up over there a little myself? bit? Are those tears I'm, I'm sorry? sensing? Are you tearing up over emotional. there? <laughs> uh, yeah. Christine, was it, uh, do you have a boy or a girl? Uh, I had three girls. Three <laughs> girls, wow. Three girls. You're a busy woman. Yeah. And I and uh, I had to stay on Subutex um, until after she was born, but um, she she didn't have to be on morphine or anything like that. I was taking the lowest dose possible. That's phenomenal. So that she was not born addicted. How old is she now? 
she just turned one in May. Wow. May yeah. Well, you know what? I, I mean, I'm not an expert in this field, but uh, uh, what you did uh, when you found out you were pregnant s- sort of proves you're, you're a good mom already. Oh, thank so, you. So uh, continued, I mean, continued success, uh, Christine. We're, we're gonna, oh, we're, I appreciate that. To, uh, yeah, I work hard. You know, I try to better myself every day, try to be the best mom I can be for my kids. And, Christine, and that experience, uh, because we I have, think, changed my life and and for the better. Yeah. That, I mean, Christine, thank you. was, if it didn't happen... <laughs> I don't think I'd be the person I am today. Christine, we, we need to wrap up. I just wanted to tell you one more little you know, piece of information because you seem like really uh, to appreciate the, the compliment there. And I know a lot of times in recovery, a lot of times you're struggling with self-esteem from the issues that you've done stuff in the past. And one thing that you could always think about is just because you messed up, I want to say the F word, but I can't do that. Just because you messed up, it doesn't mean you're a mess up, right? You made some mistakes in the past. Every human being in the world Correct. has made mistakes in the past, whether they've done drugs or not. I'm a life coach. I make right. mistakes every single day. So give yourself a little bit of a break. You're a mother of three. You're doing oh, a great job and, and just keep thanks. going forward. Nice, nice, uh, Thank Christine. Thank you so much. Hold on, I don't hang up. That. This is the producer, Alan J. West. I need Ben right now to deliver a rap for you. Oh, we need to do a that's rap. Especially, all right, right now. He, he's, he's putting me on the spot, and I see Steve is a little nervous about the time. So, okay, go right we're going to do right a little ahead. rap. Go right so, Christine, you got to recognize that you're beautiful deep inside, even though you make mistakes. Everybody does. Said so we're all human beings looking for a purpose, and we really started seeing. You have three kids. One turn one. We wake up every day, and we're looking at the sun, always having fun when we fight against addiction. Got to break out. Got to get out of the prison. Utilize my vision when I'm living on this earth, trying to understand what is everything thing worth now i'm gonna speak gonna spit another verse gonna do it till it hurts it's a blessing not a curse ben stone is the host of <laughs> Thank Ad- you so much. addiction unplugged and uh, you're gonna hear more about that real quick the website that you get more uh, yes so if uh, so christine and for all the viewers out there you could check us out on facebook on addiction unplugged as well as addictionunplugged.com we're going to be announcing in the upcoming weeks what network that the television show will be airing on ben oh thank Alan, you guys so much for having me Thank and you so much. Stu, thanks. And uplifting me. I appreciate <laughs> have, it. Have a great day, Christine. Bye-bye. Everybody, thanks Bye, so much. Thank you. This has been thank an you. exciting uh, program for us. Ben, thanks a lot. Thank you, Steve. And we'll see you, uh, we'll see you down the road. Uh, see, you next, uh, see you next week on Recovery Radio. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.